0: Let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Philippians chapter 2. And I would like to continue and likely conclude what I began last Sunday morning. And that is a consideration of Jesus as Lord. Philippians chapter 2 beginning at verse 9. Wherefore, God also... Because Jesus of Nazareth was so willing to go to the cross of Calvary and lay down his life for the elect that God had given him, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And that name is the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to glory in the name the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we say those three words together, we have His positional title, Lord. We have His prophetic fulfillment title, Christ. And we have His personal name, Jesus, all in one expression. And by so doing, we're giving glory to God, His Father, by addressing Him that way. Amen. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What I want to preach to you this morning, what I want you to consider with me, is, do you treat Him like He is Lord? People love to sing about Jesus. They love to create little manger scenes where they have a baby Jesus. But most people do not like Jesus as Lord, because that means He has the right, the authority, the claims to dictate, I mean dictate, Amen. the terms of your life right. and how you live. They don't like that. Now, I want to share a few verses with you about the situation we're in in the year 2001. And you're familiar with these verses, but I'm not going to let you forget them. Right. Second Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This morning, before coming to this assembly in having the little pre-service that we have in our home before we come here, I was reminding my sons of how most Baptists have had to worship for the last 2,000 years. And that is that we would have had to sneak out the back door while it was yet dark and make our way across dark fields and into the deep, deeply into some forest where there might be a clearing where other families would be coming to meet with us all under the penalty and fear of death if we're caught. And there in that clearing we might have by the grace of God we might have an ordained minister of the Lord Jesus Christ who has a little bit of the word of God and who's able to take that out And read to us the precious words of Scripture. I want to tell you something. If we assembled like that, you wouldn't have to be encouraged to hug one another. If we assembled like that when the Word of God was opened, your heart would be waiting to hear every syllable. And I'll tell you, you'd be trusting in Jesus as Lord. Because your whole survival... Would depend upon it and you would know that it wasn't really a matter of if you were going to die as a martyr, it was a question of when and would Jesus be with you as your Lord and would he stand with you and strengthen you as he did the Apostle Paul and the martyrs that have followed. So I say all of that this morning to you in a whole assembly. This is a sober moment. We only get to do it a few minutes a week. Fear and tremble before the word of God and see Jesus Christ as Lord and see nothing else. Think of nothing else. Don't think of your activities this afternoon. Don't think of what you did yesterday. Don't think of someone sitting in front of you. Think about yourself and your soul. Is Jesus Christ Lord in your life? Second Timothy chapter three. I love this passage of scripture because it tells us about our generation. Verse 1, this know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. We live in these perilous times. How do we know? Well, I'm going to read the description of perilous times, and you're going to know that I'm reading a description of the United States of America in 2001. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Yes, we have a philosophy today and a psychology concept taught today that the most important ingredient for success in life and positive profitable relationships is self-love. Isn't that amazing? A new invention and it certainly has done a great deal of good hasn't it? As children with so much self-love take their automatic weapons into schools and spill the blood of their classmates because they love themselves so much that they despise others. We have lots of self-love in this country. Self-love has never been a problem. Everyone by nature loves themselves way too much. The problem is, as Jesus taught, we don't love our neighbor as ourself. We already love ourselves so much, but we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. Self-love has never been a problem. Our nation is feeding the depraved part of man with that philosophy. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous. I'm not going to comment on every one of these words because I've done it before, but this is our society. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. Our nation has more churches than any nation in the world. But the religious form they go through in most places denies the power of God. And when we talk about denying the power of God, we are not talking about denying the fact that God could create the heavens and the earth in six days. We're not talking about the fact that they might deny that there was a worldwide flood in the days of Noah. What we're talking about in that word power, what the Lord is trying to teach us, is the word authority. They have a form of godliness. They have a religion, but there's no authority in it. No one is laying forth the commandments of the Holy God as to how we are supposed to live. Jesus Christ is not truly Lord. They may call Him a Savior. They may have nativity scenes for Him. But they don't own Him as Lord because they don't tremble before all the commandments that He gave us. Look in your Bibles at Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. This is not A new phenomenon. Luke chapter 19. I want to read it verse 11. A couple of verses. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. The Jews were looking for a carnal, physical, national kingdom to immediately appear. If he was the Christ, they were looking for someone to deliver them from the oppression of Rome and build them again into a preeminent world power nationally. And so because he knew that's what they were thinking, here's what he has to say. Verse 12, he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. That's us, brethren. That was the Jews, and it's us now. He's delivered us some pounds to keep and to invest and to return to him with interest while he is away, but he's coming back. Verse 14, but his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. That is the cry of the religious world today. You're too restrictive. You're Neanderthal. You're too primitive. You're prehistoric. We will not have this man to reign over us. Jesus Christ reigns. Amen. And Jesus Christ is to, be, is to be submitted to and to be obeyed as a king reigning. We will not have this man to reign over us. That is the statement of most religion today. They are breaking down all boundaries, accepting all sorts of sin, not only in the assembly, but in the pulpit. Right. Because they will not have this man to reign over us. Jesus Christ is king. And if you don't like Jesus Christ as king, you know nothing of Christ. That's right. Look at Luke 6.46. Oh, oh, Stay there at Luke 19. I've got to read one more verse out of that passage to you. Yes, why don't you come on down to verse 27 where Jesus Christ takes care of those who said, we will not have this man to reign over us. Luke 19, verse 27. But those mine enemies, this is Jesus Christ speaking about himself, but those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Right. Now, those aren't popular words. You don't read those words on billboards very often. They're not used by the polished preachers of this country. But Jesus said, bring those men who didn't want me to rule over them and to reign over them and slay them before me. Let me watch them be killed. That's the word of God. This isn't the word of Jonathan Crosby. This is the word of God. Let me watch them be killed. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love him this morning? I love him. Because all men ought to humble themselves before him and run to his feet and serve him cheerfully. What a wonderful Lord he is. What a good Lord he is. What a kind Lord he is. What a faithful Lord he is. What a blessed Lord. And if they want to defy him and say, we will not have this man to reign over him, I am thankful And I am blessed to serve a successful and victorious Lord who brings forth His enemies and has them killed before Him. Look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. It is not enough for us to say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not enough for us to say, I believe that Jesus is Lord. It's not enough for us to say, Lord. There's people in our country because our country has so fulfilled 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5, that would say these words in passing, Good Lord! Good Lord! They'll give an account for those words, because they're using that most blessed positional title of our Lord, Jesus Christ, in vain. But we come to Luke six forty six, and Jesus said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord? And do not the things which I say. Luke 6.46 Let's not call Him Lord. Let's live like He's Lord. Right. Let's not sing about Him being Lord. Let's live like He's Lord. Let's not preach like He's Lord. Let's live as if He is Lord. Right. Are you all with me? Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ is Lord. Every time we sin, we are saying we will not have this man to reign over us. Do you know that? Every time you sin, I want to teach you how to hate sin. You know it's one of my great ambitions in life because that's what Jesus Christ has called me to do, to teach you to hate sin. Every time you sin, you are saying we will not have this man to reign over us. I will not let Jesus reign over me. Every time a child disobeys his parents, I don't want Jesus to reign over me. Every time a wife doesn't serve her husband well, she is saying, I don't want this Jesus to reign over me. Every time a husband doesn't love his wife, I don't want Jesus to reign over me. That is what sin is. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Let me give you one example, and then we'll go into the practical part of this message. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Every sin is a statement from you to God, I will not have Jesus reign over me. Hate sin, brethren. Hate it. It is a defiant act of rebellion against God. You are saying, I will not have Jesus reign over me. Because he is Lord, and he's given his commandments in the heavenly manual that we call the Bible. Remember? We're... Are we citizens Yes. in a kingdom yes. and the Lord has left Amen. and we're all by ourselves in this wicked world? Is that true from Luke Amen. chapter 19? Did he leave us a heavenly manual on how we in the embassy of the church of Jesus Christ in this world are to conduct ourselves? Amen. He did indeed. 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 7. We're in a cave in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Poor David is the king of Israel. He's been anointed by Samuel the prophet. He is God's choice for the king of Israel. But there's another king still on the throne. His name is King Saul. And he's chasing David all over the place. Has a repeated has has repeatedly tried to kill David. If he was ever in the same room with King Saul, King Saul would throw a javelin at him. If he was outside the room, he'd send an army after him. Poor David. David's in a cave. He's hiding in the walls of that cave, in the recesses of the walls of that cave, and King Saul comes into the cave. This is not the passage, so I'll tell you, then I'll go to this passage. In that cave, David had an opportunity, and his wonderful cousins and nephews wanted him to kill King Saul, and he said that he wouldn't, that he couldn't, because he couldn't touch the Lord's anointed. Amen. He still saw that the Lord had left Saul on the throne and had not taken him off the throne. And so David honored the Lord by not sinning against him and touching Saul, although there was every motive in the world to do so, because he honored the Lord. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, which is a little before David's time, it's when Israel did not have a king, but they wanted a king. God had told them not to desire a king that they should be content with judges because a king costs a lot of money. Kings add to themselves servants, and servants take tax money in order to be able to feed them. And he warned his nation to trust him as their head and their king and that he would simply have judges to interpret and to enforce his laws. But the nation wanted a king. And here's what God told Samuel about it. Verse 7 of 1 Samuel chapter 8. Because verse 6 tells us that Samuel was very displeased because the people wanted a king. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. My point being that when we sin, we are rejecting the reign and the rule of the Lord over us. Every sin... Though it be what we would call so innocent, what does it really matter what form of government a nation has? Israel simply wanted a king because the nations around them had a king. They wanted a king to lead them into battle. They wanted a king that they could be proud of. They wanted a king that would march in parades. They wanted a king that might have a castle. They wanted a king. Is there anything so bad about that? God had said, Let me be your king and settle for judges. Right. They wouldn't settle for judges in the Lord being their king. And so God says that when they chose to have a king, they were rejecting him, not Samuel. Right. And that they were saying that God should not reign over them. Do you understand it? My point so far has been sin is saying, I will not have Jesus Christ to reign over me. Turn in your Bibles now, and let's see if you mean that, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We are not in a clearing in the woods with only a few portions of Scripture. We have all 31,000 verses, 1,100 chapters, 66 books, and two testaments that He wants us to have. We are most blessed. Amen. If God will preserve my life, I want to teach you all 31,000 verses. That's why I'm going fast through the book of Acts. If we go too slow, I'm asking for a little too much to live to be 375 years old. So we need to pick up the pace, and that's why in the evening services we cover a chapter of Acts every Sunday night. If you want to study it thoroughly, there are outlines that contain a whole lot more information than what I give you on Sunday nights. But I love the Word of God, and I hope that you do. We just sang a hymn before I came into the pulpit this morning for God to hand us the key that would unclasp the truth. Yes. And brethren, you're holding it right now in your hands. Right. The Word of God. Is Jesus Lord? Amen. Is Jesus Lord? Amen. Yes. Let's find out. Ephesians 6, and I did this last Sunday, But because we live in the perilous times of the year 2001, this passage needs to be repeated. Ephesians 6.1 Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Every time a child does not obey their parents, he is saying, I will not have Jesus to reign over me. I am not going to obey Jesus. I am not going to let him be my Lord. That is what every child says. And children range all the way from about one year of age to about 70 in this congregation. You're still children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There's no age limit when a child can say, I no longer need to obey or honor my parents. Where did you get that idea from? Where did you get that idea? It didn't come from the Lord or the Bible. There's no end. I taught you last Sunday that parents know when to let their rules be less restrictive as you get older as you get married and as you have your own home. But you're still to honor your parents because I can read in the Bible that when your mother is a widow and she needs to be taken care of, that children are still supposed to take care of that widowed mother. And if they do not so, they have denied the faith and are worse than an infidel. Right. First Timothy chapter 5. There's no age limit. The point I want to make is children obey your parents in the Lord. So you teenagers... When your parents tell you to do something that you don't really want to do. When your parents break off a relationship that you don't really want to lose. When your parents are restrictive about what activities you can engage in. Obey them. If you don't obey them, you are thumbing your nose at the most high God and saying, I will not have Jesus to reign over me. And I want to tell you something that Lord Jesus Christ will fulfill. Luke 19, verse 27, He will call forth His enemies and have them slain before Him. You will bring upon yourself so much trouble in this life. And you give the evidence of not having a next life. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. You know I could exhaust this and I could spend the next hour on just this little clause here. But we read that the perilous times of the last days... Children would be disobedient to parents. And so we live in a generation like that. Every child in here should obey their parents. In the Lord. Is Jesus Lord? Amen. You children that have been baptized, you younger people that have been baptized, we have down to a 10-year-old in our assembly that's been baptized. When you were baptized, you said that Jesus was Lord. Because I baptized you in the name and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't obey your parents, you're saying, I will not have Jesus reign over me. And let God be true, and every man a liar. God will have the last laugh on all those who reject his commandments. The Bible has very much to say about children obeying their parents. It goes on to say in these verses, Honor thy father and mother. The promise and the reward that's attached to it doesn't really matter. Honor thy father and mother are words from the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether there's a reward attached or not isn't important. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you don't obey them, you're saying, I will not have Jesus to reign over me. And I want to tell you, as you get older, the decisions your parents make about you become more painful. But if you trust the Lord completely, because remember, He gave you your parents. He chose your parents. So if you don't like your parents, again, you are saying, I will not have Jesus reign over me. It isn't fair the set of parents I got. Let God be true. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him and trust your parents. He gave you the set of parents that you have obey them. In Psalm 127, verse 3 this morning, we read that, lo, children are the heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. So let's talk to parents for a minute. If children are given by the Lord, then they're on loan to us, aren't they? They were given to us. Do they have souls that are going to last a long time? They're given to us on loan. How are we taking care of them? Because they were given to us by the Lord. So every parent ought to think right now about what efforts they put in this past week, this past month, into exhorting, encouraging, and training their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Look at verse 4 of this same chapter, Ephesians 6. And verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture and admonition is careful instruction and the pointing out of duties to make your children pleasing to the Lord. This has nothing to do with sending them to school. Sending them to school, if all of you would be honest with yourselves, is to get rid of them, to a great degree. Here's how I can tell that. Here's how it is so simple. Listen, if I can figure it out, do you know how much quicker the Lord figured it out? Here's how we know. How much time, in comparison, do you put in to doing verse 4 versus sending them to learn their three R's? Three R's aren't going to help them much. I can find so, I can find a job for somebody that can make a living in this society that doesn't know his three Rs. Don't need the three Rs that much. So what if you make thirty-five thousand a year or three hundred and fifty thousand a year? How does that help you? Right. It has a great it has a great measure of temptation and evil attached to it. The three hundred and fifty thousand. There's more probability that the man making 35 can live a holy life pleasing to the Lord. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Is he Lord of you parents? If you're not spending time and effort, and yes, it takes effort, and yes, it's uncomfortable effort at times but to sit your family down and to teach them the word of God, to sit at that supper table and to talk about something sober and profitable. If you're not doing that, then you are saying, I will not have Jesus reign over me because he has said to do it. Parents, we are responsible to the Lord Jesus Christ for our children. He has said in his heavenly manual, train up a child in the way he should go because see, he's loaned you those children. And he wants to make sure that those children are going to be in his way. And so he says, train up a child in the way he should go. And if we don't do it, then we are saying, I will not have him to reign over me. Let's stay in Ephesians chapter 6 and go to verse 5. Servants. Are there any servants here this morning? Amen. Yep. Everyone that has a job is a servant. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling. This is the heavenly manual. This is how Jesus Christ, the king of his kingdom, wants all of his citizens to live while they're in this world. With fear and trembling before your employers. Fear and trembling before your employers. Fear and trembling before your employers. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know what else to preach to you except preach the word is what I was commanded to do. Amen. And it says fear and trembling before your employers. It doesn't say before frightening employers. It says if you, if the company's laying off and you don't want to get laid off, it says before your masters to serve them with fear and trembling. You know what? We live in a society, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and by your observation, that doesn't even understand these words anymore. That's right. Do you know in God's society, if a servant wasn't doing his job, a master could pound the daylights out of him with a rod? Yep. And as long as that servant died a day or two later, it was, all right. it was fine. Amen. You say, that is just cruel and unusual punishment. God, That's the way the Lord... Make sure that men give a decent day's effort for a decent day's wages. And do you know what? There's very few people, beat, very few servants beat in a society like that. And there's very few unsuccessful farms. Yes. Amen. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart. You have one motive. While you're fearing and trembling before your employer. One motive, not two. One. As unto Christ. There he is. There's our Lord Jesus Christ. As unto Christ. You're not fearing and trembling because your master's intimidating. You're fearing and trembling because your Lord's intimidating. Because he has said to to serve them with fear and trembling. Not with eye service as men pleasers. You are never trying to please your master as your primary goal. Your primary goal is a single heart as unto Christ. But as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. From your heart every day on the job. Lord, this is the job that you've given me. This is the master that you've sent me. I am going to serve you today. I am going to work hard for you. Not I'm going to work hard for you in the promotion I hope to get. I'm going to work hard for you, single-minded, not being a man-pleaser. A man-pleaser is thinking about that promotion. I want to tell you something. If a man were ever to put these verses into practice, from their heart, the promotions will take care of themselves. Because you will be one in your company. One. You'll be the only one. And I don't care how big your company is, if you were to live these verses. And if you do not live these verses, you are saying, I will not have Jesus to reign over me. Doing the will of God from the heart, verse 6, goes into verse 7, with good will. Doing service as to the Lord and not to men. You're not serving men, you're serving the Lord. Every moment on the job, you are serving the Lord. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Do you notice that your goal is not the promotion that comes from your master? Your goal is the promotion that comes from the Lord. Amen. He'll take care of you. This is how we're to live. We've dealt with children in verse one. We've seen parents in verse four, fathers in verse four. Now we have servants in verses five through eight. We're all, sir. Serv- Most of us are servants. I'm your servant. How many of you know what I'm doing every day? All you have to do is turn me over to the Lord. Because he's intimidating. I serve him with fear and trembling. I give him many hours. Many more hours than any of you give your professions. And I'm no hero for that. I'm an unprofitable servant, and I wish I could scrape more hours out of the day. but we're all servants and we're told what to do is Jesus Lord. My sermon is simple is Jesus Lord. If we don't serve on the job like this, we are saying, I will not have this man to reign over me. And the man you're talking about is not your master. The man you're talking about is the man Christ Jesus. I don't care. I don't care how forward and obnoxious your employer might be. If you have a forward and obnoxious employer, God sent him to you right. to see if you could handle just a little tiny bit of adversity. And Proverbs 24.10 says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. You're a weakling if you can't handle a bad master. Because only when you have a bad master can you really show that you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1 Peter chapter two. About verses 15 through 18. I want to show you that passage. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I have a word of wisdom. Some of you are thinking, well, you don't work for the boss that I work for. I have a word of wisdom. I speak as a fool. Hopefully I just have wisdom. 1 Peter chapter 2. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you need to watch a little bit more of your Christian television. I speak as a fool the second time. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. There it is again. I thought that every job was supposed to have benefits and a pleasant work environment and a fulfilling job description, but all that the Lord says is servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. There's an obnoxious boss for this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God, endure grief, suffering wrongfully. So you're suffering on the job and you're suffering wrongfully. Your, your master is unfair. So what does that mean? you steal a little bit from the clock, you don't give him as much respect, wrong, wrong, wrong. If you don't give him as much respect, if you steal on the clock, if you in any way cheat him, you are cheating the Lord and you are saying, I will not have this man to reign over me. Right. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. This is the heavenly manual. This is how we work on the job. With all fear, with fear and trembling, with a single heart, as to the Lord, not to men. We're not out trying to please men. We're not out trying to get a promotion. We're only trying to please the Lord and trusting Him for any promotions. That's the word of the Lord. Is Jesus your Lord? It's a little more than singing, Oh, how I love Jesus, isn't it? is Jesus Lord. Now let's look at masters. Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six. We're back to that chapter again. And now we look at the ninth verse. Ephesians six, nine. And ye masters do the same things unto them. That is singleness of heart as to the Lord, not to men. Forbearing, threatening unnecessary and foolish threatening be a man of your word knowing that your fo- master also is in heaven neither is their respective persons with him god doesn't respect persons he doesn't care whether you're a master or a servant and god doesn't respect persons so masters shouldn't respect persons they should pay based on performance they should forbear not, not engage in threatening If they're going to threaten, they better follow through with it. They better be consistent, faithful, men of their word. So masters are addressed. And if a master doesn't treat his employees well, there's a God in heaven. And he's saying to him, I will not have this man to reign over me. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. You're right there. Isn't it amazing how spiritual the word of God is? Amen when it comes to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our Lord, and here's what he said. Verse 22 of Ephesians 5. Wives, comma. Does the Lord have your attention, women, that are married? Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. When a wife submits, that means to obey. That means to serve and to help him the way he wants to be served and helped. When a woman does that, she does it as unto the Lord, because the Lord gave her her husband. If a woman thinks that she's picked her husband, you don't understand the sovereignty or the providence of God at all. God gave you your husband. God gave the office. God gave the office authority over your life. And God put the man in the office with the authority over your life. And it's your job to obey, to submit, to submit, Submit means that you're willing to obey when he's asking something that you don't want to do. That's right. When you do something that he when you do something for him that you want to do, there's no submission involved. That isn't submission. That's cooperation. Or as I've told you before, that's vacation. A woman really finds out if she's a godly woman or not when her husband asks her to do something she doesn't want to do. So every time your husband asks or expects or it's known that you ought to be doing something that you don't want to do, you have a chance to show by your life that Jesus Christ is Lord. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Because by submitting to Him, which is a hard thing to do, you're submitting to the Lord, and you're making Him the Lord of your life. If you don't submit to your husband and you withhold from your husband and you do not cheerfully comply with everything that he wants, expects, and hopes out of his wife, then you are saying, I will not have this man to reign over me. And you're saying that not about your husband. You're saying that about the Lord Jesus Christ. I will not have Jesus Christ reign over me. Turn to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. Let's think about something else again. Another aspect of your lives. Proverbs 18.22 Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. What persons are being talked about in Proverbs 18.22? Husbands. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. I want to talk to you men for a minute. Now, we could have kept on in Ephesians chapter 5 because verse 25 said, Husbands, comma, love your wives. And if a husband doesn't love his wife, then he is saying, Jesus, you are not going to reign over me. I could turn you to so many verses of scripture this morning about husbands, but I've done some of that in the past and I don't have time to do that this morning. I can say that Colossians 3.18 says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. I can say, Proverbs 5.19, Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant row. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. Proverbs 5.19. Colossians 3.18, Proverbs 5.19. It's Colossians 3.19 and Proverbs 5.19. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Where'd you get your wife from, husbands? The Lord. the Lord gave her to you. Do you treat your wife as a woman created by God and loaned to you for safekeeping? If you don't cherish her and nourish her like the Lord does us as a church, then you are saying, I will not have this man to reign over me. Right. Because of bitterness, because of past pain, because of seeing her 417 imperfections, you want to withhold from her, you are saying, I will not have this man to reign over me. Do you treat your wife like a sister in the Lord and an equal heir of eternal life? Right. Equal heir of eternal life. You know, when I consider this subject and thinking about the Lordship of Jesus Christ when it comes to husbands in their marriage, marriages, I have a great temptation to believe what is said by the evil women of our nation and generation. I'm tempted to agree with them when they say there's two kinds of men. And I want to ask you this morning, which of these two kinds of men are you? There are selfish men and there are selfish men. Which one of those categories of husband are you? A wife is an incredible blessing from God. If he hadn't chosen when he looked down in the Garden of Eden and saw Adam alone, if he hadn't chosen to put Adam into a deep sleep and take a rib from him and form a woman and bring her to the man and call her name woman, then a man wouldn't have a woman. She is from the Lord. And she is something that is to be prized and cherished and nourished, protected, loved, and not treated selfishly. She is an heir together with you of the grace of life. There is no inferiority when it comes to our standing and position in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me cheat a little bit on tonight's sermon. We're going to meet in Acts chapter 18 tonight, a couple. Right. Aquila and Priscilla. They're mentioned, to, they're mentioned together as a couple three times in the New Testament. And two of those three times, Priscilla's put before Aquila. I like that, brethren. You're going to hear, you're going to have to face it again tonight. So I've said it to you twice today. When it comes to Jesus Christ and our standing in him, there's no male or female in heaven. Right. There's no female or or male standing in Christ. We're saved with the blood of Christ equally. We're equal heirs of the grace of life. How are we going to break that statement that is made that there's two kinds of men? Selfish men and selfish men. How are we going to break that mold by owning that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's given us our wives and he's told us how we have to treat them and not doing it because we have to, but doing it because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are thereby willing and therefore willing to treat her the way that he wants us to treat her. Do you love your wife as obedience and service to the Lord or to win your wife? If you only treat your wife in order to win something from her, you'll never last. The only way that you can keep it up consistently and forever is to love your wife because Jesus told you to love your wife. The feelings of loving your wife come and go. But the word of God abideth forever. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter two, every conversation you husbands have with your wives is Jesus Lord. Right. Every time you take her to bed, which I hope is every day, Jesus is Jesus Lord. Right. First Peter chapter two and verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Why? Why do we obey every ordinance? Why do I wear my shoulder harness and seat belt combination that messes up my tie and irritates me every time I get in my vehicle? Why do I do it? And I do it cheerfully. I only speak that way about it to you to tell you what my flesh thinks of it. I want you to love obeying laws because Jesus has left us as citizens in his kingdom here and he's gone away, but he's coming back and he's given us a heavenly manual on how we're supposed to live. You know, there are little, there are rectangular pieces of metal beside the highway and beside roads. Have you seen them? rectangular pieces of metal. They have numbers printed on them and there's a post in the ground. Do we obey them? Do we submit? All of you men who sit there and think while I'm preaching to the women, man, I'm glad to have a pastor like this. Oh, it is so good. I hope she's hearing every syllable that's coming from his lips. Well, that same pastor wants to say to you, do you see the rectangular piece of metal beside the road? Because Jesus is asking this morning, do you see the piece of metal? It was written by governors that are sent by the authority of our nation telling us how fast to drive. And don't say, well, maybe it's easy for you to drive the speed limit. All of you know me well enough to know that it's not easy for me to drive the speed limit. But it's simple, isn't it? Is the matter difficult? Difficult. It's simple to me because of this verse. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Is Jesus Lord of citizens? It's settled. We should obey every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Does it say every ordinance? It says every ordinance. Does it say submit? Does that mean it's going to be ordinances that you like? Or does that mean it's going to be ordinances that you don't like? Submit yourself to every ordinance of man because you're afraid of getting a ticket? No, because you're afraid of meeting Jesus Christ and having said, I will not have this man reign over me. Right. Amen. I don't know what to do, brethren. I have so many more things to say to you. Look at Leviticus chapter 18. Give me a couple more. There's an outline available. Everyone who really wants to serve Jesus Christ will ask me for an outline and I will email it to them so that they can see the other 40 points that I'm not getting to this morning. And they can see the other five to ten scriptures for the points that I've given that I didn't show you. Leviticus chapter 18. We live in a society that is very much like the city of Corinth we're going to look at tonight. A a nation built on lasciviousness and licentiousness. Now those are two words you haven't read in the newspaper recently. Lasciviousness and licentiousness. Lasciviousness is unbridled lust. If it feels good, do it. If it's another man's wife, do it. If it's someone you're not married to, do it. Licentiousness. No rules or moral restraint whatsoever. No license. Total license. Freedom to do whatever you want to because there's no rules. The city of Corinth was like that. We're going to meet it, meet those people tonight in Luke, in in Acts chapter 18. But we live in a nation like that. But I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ has spoken about sex. And Jesus Christ has limited it very definitely, very clearly, and pointedly. And Luke 18 is one of those chapters that no one wants to pay attention to anymore. God condemns sodomy. It doesn't matter what our universities say today. It doesn't matter what pulpits say today. God condemns sodomy. It's an abomination to him. Because the Canaanites were guilty of sodomy, he said the very land, that dirt that I talked about earlier this morning, outside vomited out the inhabitants of Canaan. Leviticus chapter 18. Look at verse 6. None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. No sex between relatives. Now, this is the word of God. I want you to notice, though, on what that rule is based. Because there's some practical poor effect that it has? Because inbreeding creates deformed children? Those are all pitiful and weak excuses. Listen to the verse. None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. God governs sex. He tells you whom you can have it with and where you're to have it. That's in marriage. And how often you're to have it and how you're to have it. And who's got the right to your sexual performance. That's your marital spouse. All of that's in the Bible. So every time that our sexual relationship within marriage is not living up to God's description of it, We must admit to ourselves, and that's why I'm preaching to you this morning and preaching to me, we are saying, I will not have the man Christ Jesus reign over me. Verse 22, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Does anyone need interpretation of that verse? Is that difficult to understand? A man and a man in bed is just not a pretty sight. It's not even an ugly sight. It's worse than ugly. It's an abomination. Verse 22, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things. For in all these the nations are defiled which I cast out before you. And the land is defiled. Therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. And the chapter ends with the last six words being, I am the Lord your God. Jesus Christ has spoken about sex. And if our sexual lives are not governed by all of his rules, which include verses like this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, Hath committed adultery already with her in his heart, right. Matthew five twenty eight. If we do not go- govern our lives according to his rules, we are saying, "I will not have the man Jesus Christ reign over me." Right. Is he the Lord of your body? Amen. Did anybody tells you about going to the spa? First Timothy chapter four and verse eight. Bodily exercise profiteth little. If you're putting more than a little bit of time into it, you are saying, I will not have Jesus reign over me. You say, are you really going to be that strict? No, it's not. I'm just an ambassador. Right. I didn't make up the rules, but I'm not ashamed of the rules. Right. Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. 1 yeah. Timothy chapter 4 yeah. and verse 8. Is he the Lord of books? In Acts nineteen nineteen, next Sunday night, or the following Sunday night when I preach from Acts 19, we'll find that the Ephesians brought all their books together and burned them, and the value of those books was 50,000 pieces of silver. I would say they knew that Jesus was Lord of books. Right. Is he Lord of the television? He tells us in Psalm 101, in verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Is he the Lord of your tongue? Does he have a right to dictate how you speak? Amen. He says, let your speech be always with grace. Season with salt, Colossians 4, 6. Jesus is Lord of our speech. So every time something comes out of our mouth that is not gracious, we are saying, I will not have that man to reign over me. And we're speaking against the Lord Jesus Christ. And let it remind you, he will have his enemies brought before him and have them slain before him. Right. Is he Lord of friends? Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Right. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three. Is he the Lord of love? Does he tell you who you can love and who you should love and who you cannot love? Right. right. Yes, he does. He tells you not to love this world, but he tells you to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. He tells you to love your wife and tells you to love your children, tells wives to love their husbands. Is he the Lord of all your plans? Mm -hmm. James chapter four and verse 15 says, if you're going to do something, you're supposed to do it this way. We're going to do this or that if the Lord will, because he's Lord of those plans. Is he the Lord of your money? Does he say that not giving to him is robbing him? Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. You say I don't have enough to give to him. Take that up with him. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, saith saith the what? The saith the Lord. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. Is he Lord of the unity of this church? Amen. There are six things that God hates. Yea, seven. What's the last one? Brethren that sow discord. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 19. Is he the Lord of your circumstances? Nothing's ever happened to you that God didn't intend to happen to you. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. He's the Lord of your circumstances. So instead of complaining about them and resenting them, and fearing them, trust him. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Brethren, is he the Lord of everything? Amen. Come over to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, and with this text I'll close. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. As I taught you last Sunday from Matthew chapter 21, it is better to fall on the Lord Jesus Christ and be broken than to have him fall on you and grind you to powder. Fall on him, brethren. Jesus is Lord. He's dictated the terms of our lives. Because he's Lord, which I taught last Sunday and didn't really look at much this morning, because he's Lord, we ought to obey him regardless of any benefits. But if you were to ever lose your life and live your life exactly the way the Lord Jesus Christ has prescribed for you to live your life, you will find the highest measure of happiness, fulfillment, success, and prosperity. If you try to preserve your life by saying, I will not have him to reign over this part of my life, I don't care what the pastor said, turn the TV on, go ahead. I serve a glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And I am able to preach in total comfort that He will have the last laugh. And I will laugh with Him. Because what we are talking about this morning is a sober, serious matter. This is not a game, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a religion. We have a relationship. We are citizens of the great king. Fall on him this morning. Break yourselves. You know that I may have touched on some areas in your life where you're not serving him as thoroughly as you should be. Make him Lord in those areas. Yet I want to say to you that the Lord Jesus Christ, to those who love him, is a most tender and loving Lord and Master. Thomas wasn't with the disciples the first time that Jesus appeared to them. And after Jesus left, Thomas met with the disciples, and the disciples said, we've seen the Lord. Thomas was a doubter, and he said, I'm not going to believe until I see the holes in his hands and the hole in his side. And right about that time, Jesus appeared. said, here I am, Thomas. And Thomas said, my Lord, my God. That was a tender moment that same Lord can say the word Mary in the garden of Gethsemane after he was risen from the dead and have a woman completely overwhelmed with the love that that savior is able to give. He is that Lord to those who love him and obey him. I hope that you'll make him your Lord that way today. Everything that we do, brethren, I've taught this before, but it's the message of the gospel we have been translated out of a kingdom of darkness yep. where everything we did was what our heart told us to do. Yep. Now we do everything according to the rules of a different king. Right. No longer is it Satan dictating the terms of our lives. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has dictated, dictated the terms of all of our lives right. so that everything we do should be done to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in his name thinking of Him, serving Him, doing it for Him, as unto Him, by Him. And so we close with Colossians 3.17, And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Our religion is a relationship with Jesus Christ and it extends to all 168 hours of the week and all 60 minutes of those individual hours. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him that you were chosen to be one of his citizens. Don't we owe him everything? Amen. Can you do it with joy in your hearts? Amen. Please stand with me.